I'm Sienna, the kid. I'm Sarah, the mom. Whether you're a young person wanting to learn more about these issues or their parent wanting to find ways to connect, we want you to join us as we tackle some important subjects. If you can't have these conversations in your household yet, we hope to help by having them here. Welcome to Queer Kids Straight Mom. Let's talk. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Queer Kids Straight Mom. Sienna and I are actually recording from London today, which is exciting. But you will have to forgive us if our uh, sound quality is a little bit lower than usual. So appropriately, today we are going to talk about J.K. Rowling, Harry Potter. I began the Harry Potter series when I was in my 20s. I started a new job and my coworkers were really into it. The first movie was about to come out. And so they were telling me how excited they were and how amazing these books were. So I started reading them and I absolutely loved them. Not just the fun and fanciful aspects of the series, but I saw it as such a powerful message of acceptance and social justice, no matter how our feelings might have changed with all of the things that have come to light about J.K. Rowling's opinions. It's hard to argue that the writing isn't beautiful. A little bit of the history, if anybody hasn't followed the situation or has heard that there's some controversy surrounding Rowling but isn't sure what the situation is. The trouble started in 2018 when Rowling liked a tweet that referred to transgender women as men in dresses. This could have blown over as a mistake, but then in 2019... A woman in the UK lost her job after criticizing the government's plans to allow people to self-identify their gender on identification documents. This woman said that transgender women who have undergone gender reassignment surgery are men regardless of their identification documents. Rowling came to her defense. Her tweeted statement, which many people have seen at this point, was, dress however you please, call yourself whatever you like, Sleep with any consenting adult who will have you. Live your best life in peace and security, but force women out of their jobs for stating that sex is real. So obviously this statement, which many of her fans saw as doubling down on an anti-trans sentiment, was heartbreaking to a generation that grew up loving the Harry Potter books for their powerful message of acceptance and worth in a world that sees people like you as odd and unnatural. Then it all snowballed. Rowling stated that the lived reality of women is erased if sex isn't real. She derided the use of the phrase people who menstruate and then published an essay on her website in which she explained her fears about trans activism. In it, she said many people who have received gender affirming care later regret it and suggested that allowing people to use the bathroom matching their gender identity would compromise the safety of others. All of these things clearly problematic. As much as This was disappointing to me because I saw this message of acceptance in these books. I can't even imagine how it felt to a younger generation of LGBTQ plus kids that grew up loving these books and then found out that their author felt this way. What was your reaction when you started to see these statements? Well, you know, it was like initially I was like, well, I mean, like I wanted to give her the benefit of the doubt because, you know, like you said, I I also grew up loving these books. Like I, I started reading them. I must have been like second grade, third grade, 
some somewhere in there, you know, pretty, pretty young. And you read some of the later books to me um, so that I could, I could read them. Um, But you could go over some of the, some of the scary stuff. And I really loved them. And for a long time, if someone asked me what fictional world I would want to live in, I would say um, the world of Harry Potter, because there was just nothing that kind of sparked the same joy for me. And so what's like, I guess the worst part is that I can't kind of feel that same joy anymore about the world or about the story or about the characters. It's sort of, it's sort of tainted for me now. And so, you know, for a while I really wanted to give her the benefit of the doubt because I didn't want her to be this transphobic person, but at a certain point when someone keeps saying dehumanizing transphobic things over and over again, you know, it's, it's kind of hard to not, to not be like, okay, I guess she's just a transphobic person. Well, and it is interesting that she has doubled down so much on this. And it's hard because part of me wants to respect people that are willing to stand by what they think, despite public opinion. But I also feel like if you are in a position where people look up to you, if you have opinions that are dehumanizing and offensive, it might be better to keep them to yourself. <laughs> or like to act as, to, to be willing to learn from people. Like that's, because I absolutely am like, well, I mean, if, I think if you just like change your opinion because people get mad at you, that's like, okay, flimsy, fair weather friend, whatever. But there's a difference between just changing your opinion because you catch flack for it and being open-minded and wanting to learn from people who are genuinely trying to educate you and, you know, sort of acting in good faith. Especially because some of these things that she has said that people who transition commonly regret it or that allowing people to use the bathroom corresponding with their gender puts people at risk. Like these are things that the data, the facts largely contradict. Right. And when you have such a large platform and every tweet you make is being seen by millions of people, including lawmakers all over the world, like there are politicians who cite JK Rowling when they are defending legislation that makes those tweets be the law of the land all over the world. Like, it's not just one lady having her opinion. This has a massive effect. The responsibility that comes with power, she seems to be wantonly abusing. But at the same time, I guess if she really thinks that this is a dangerous movement, maybe she thinks she's using her power for good. I mean, I'm sure she does. It's just that, you know, she's blatantly disregarding all of the medical, scientific, psychological evidence. The irony, interestingly, is the Death Eaters and Harry Potter are so obsessed with like this purity, right? This like pure magical line. And she is constantly speaking about feminism as if it's a movement that needs its purity preserved. Right. She talks in really stark bioessentialist terms, like a woman's experience is defined by the fact that she has a vagina. Like it's ridiculous because we all know that that's not true. And, and women have fought for years and years to not be defined by their vagina. Like that's fundamentally what the women's rights movement is all about is not being defined by what your body looks like. 
And so to then revert back to this idea of like you, the only true female experience is for people who meet X, Y, and Z criteria. Like it's always going to be a very exclusionary idea. It's one of the things that always kind of makes me laugh about the argument that um, trans women shouldn't be allowed to compete in women's sports because when you say like, there, it's just so unfair. We just can't compete. You're just saying that women are inherently inferior and should be protected from the big, bad, scary men because they could never, ever compete on a level playing field. And that's ridiculous. And there are high-performing women athletes who could absolutely crush almost every single high-performing male athlete. And by trying to keep it so strictly segregated according to this kind of outdated idea of sex is not just transphobic, but it's also, you know, actively contradictory to the entire point of feminism. Right. I know that's been so frustrating to me that like it presented as a defending women's sports and some sort of like feminist thing when every like high level athletic competitor I've ever known has a feeling of like, give me the best to compete against because it's meaningless if if I'm not competing against the best. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it like reverts back to this kind of like this honor ideology of like chivalry and oh men can't fight women the poor wilting flower ladies no women should be competing against the best athletes whether that's other cisgender women whether that's transgender women whether that's transgender men whether that's cisgender men like the point should not be one sex the point should be one's athletic ability and again by by reducing it down to these really strictly bioessentialist definitions of sex, which again, aren't even accurate because intersex people exist. Like honestly, cisgender women are doing themselves a disservice here. Clearly trans women in sports. I <laughs> need to explore further. Yes, we've gotten a little bit derailed, but I think it, <laughs> I think it all sort of corresponds to the point of like, why, why would you reduce yourself to nothing more than an object when the experience of womanhood is so multifaceted and layered and nuanced. Which is fascinating with a writer who so beautifully and intuitively addresses the complexities of human beings and their stereotypes and their prejudices. It, it just is mystifying. And it's just, like it's really disappointing to have been so enamored with this world, this wizarding world, right? That we all loved. What was it you said when we were in the subway station yesterday? You saw something about Harry Potter and you were like, I wish it still sparked joy. Yeah. It doesn't spark joy anymore. Yeah, because I mean, so when we were in, uh, we went to Florida for a business trip when I was in middle school and we went to Universal Studios and I've been wanting to go back ever since because they've got this amazing you know, wizarding world of Harry Potter. And it was so incredible. And I loved it. And it brought me so much joy. And now, now I think about it, I'm just like, it, it, yeah, it, it doesn't spark joy anymore. Which, so this brings me to another interesting topic, which is what do we do with the books? Can we separate the books from the author? After all of this kind of came to light, some of the stars of Harry Potter came forward with statements supporting transgender people. Daniel Radcliffe, Emma Watson, and Rupert Grint all expressed their support. Radcliffe, in particular, said he hoped Rowling's comments would not take away from what was important to people about the books. 
His statement was, I am deeply sorry for the pain these comments have caused you. I really hope that you don't entirely lose what was valuable in these stories to you. If these books taught you that love is the strongest force in the universe, capable of overcoming anything, if they taught you that strength is found in diversity and that dogmatic ideas of pureness lead to the oppression of vulnerable groups, if you believe that a particular character is trans, non-binary, or gender fluid, or that they are gay or bisexual, if you found anything in these stories that resonated with you and helped you at any time in your life, then that is between you and the book you read, and it is sacred. How do you feel about that? It's so complicated, I guess, is the the only way to describe it. Because yeah, I mean, there is a lot that I got from reading them and that you got from reading them. And lots of people got from reading these books that is so valuable and meaningful and taught us so much about humanity and connection and, and taught people to love reading. And to me, it's actually more of like a... It's not that you can't still find meaning in the books, like from a moral standpoint. It's that I think for a lot of the people about whom Rowling is talking, find it difficult to not recontextualize the entire series in that sort of framework of this is not a world where I'm welcome. These kind of beliefs and values don't extend to me. And so, you know, if that doesn't take away from it for you, like that's, you know, lucky you, congratulations. But I think for a lot of people, it's not, it's not even so much a matter of like ideological purity. It's just a matter of a kind of instinctual reaction. And probably a sense of betrayal. Like, what if we trusted her intentions with this story, but she's meaning something completely different than we thought. And I don't think that there's anything nefarious necessarily. I can't obviously speak for her intentions in writing these books, but it does make you second guess and question some of the the choices mm-hmm. in the books. Um, I know you've mentioned a few things. What What has jumped out at you? So obviously the, I would say the biggest one to me is the fact that the, um, it's mentioned that in the dormitories, the girl's staircase turns into a slide if a man steps on it, but women can go into the boys dorm and that's fine. I mean, which if we're being realistic, it's not even a matter of trans stuff because it's actually just really promoting a kind of inherently problematic narrative about sex abuse in the first place. Like this sort of idea that the only victims of sexual assault are women and that men can't be sexually assaulted, which is, yeah, again, just deeply problematic um, because it, first of all, kind of reinforces again, reducing yourself to gender stereotypes and then also prevents people from reporting sexual assault, either perpetrated by women or perpetrated by uh, members of the same gender. So, I mean, that's kind of problematic for a whole host of reasons. But then, of course, it's also like this weird idea of anyone you perceive as a man trying to enter a woman's space must be a threat. And while it might be at least less obviously problematic if, if she weren't saying all of this transphobic stuff, when she says stuff like that and you know that she doesn't view transgender women 
as women, all of a sudden the Hogwarts dorms are discriminatory. So another actually kind of interesting one is Harry Potter, like the entire series, one of the main themes is, you know, parenthood and a mother's love. But if you think about it, it all sort of falls apart a little bit when you consider the fact that for some reason, it's only a mother's sacrifice that saved Harry from Voldemort. Because James also sacrificed himself, right? Harry's dad also sacrificed himself and tried to give Lily and Harry a chance to escape. But that doesn't count as a sacrifice to save your child. So again, it's this kind of reductive idea of almost like, I suppose if you think about it in terms of sex stereotypes, it's this idea that men are expected to go out and fight and die and do all those manly things. But if a woman sacrifices herself for her child, that's a special sacred thing that has so much more meaning than if a, than if a man does it to save his child. So again, one of those things that it might not jump out to you as so obvious if you're not thinking about it in terms of the transphobic things she says. But then once you're like, oh, this is how she's looking at gender relations, then it sort of takes on a different cast. J.K. Rowling has talked openly about having been in an abusive marriage. Mm -hmm. And so in context, in the spirit of, you know, trying to be compassionate and empathetic, it's easy to see how she could have these feelings of wanting to protect women from abusive men. And I'm trying to wrap my head around how that all plays out in the stories because she's not making men themselves. You know, I, I think that has been one of her explanations for why she's so staunchly defensive of feminism and women's rights and protecting women mm -hmm. is her experience. But it's not like she villainizes all men in the books. You know, Umbridge is a woman and she's one of the most evil characters. Dumbledore is, you know, like complex, but like a hero in the story, right? So it's not, it doesn't come across like a hatred of men. So that as a defense of all of this kind of falls apart when you're only talking about transgender women. Right. It's like she only sees transgender women as the inherently predatory ones. Like the rest of, you know, like all... All men are individuals who you can evaluate on an individual basis and they can be heroes or villains or whatever. But if it's a transgender woman, she must be evil and a predator. Mm -hmm. Very recently, a podcast has come out called The Witch Trials of J.K. Rowling, <laughs> which we have not listened to because it would be traumatic. I'm actually curious, but I haven't gotten around to it. I have read a little about it, though. And um, this podcast is hosted by Megan Phelps Roper, who became a public figure a few years ago when she told her story of leaving the Westboro Baptist Church, which is widely known as being very homophobic. Mm -hmm. So she's told her story about having to have her views challenged as she engaged with the church on their beliefs and ultimately had a change of mind and left. The reviews that I have read of this podcast are pretty skeptical of its intentions because at least as of the last one I read, it's basically just been, it's, it's really come across as just her defending herself. Mm -hmm. 
In a Washington Post op-ed by Monica Hesse that I've just read, Hesse says that Rowling's tweets are exhausting because they require constant vigilance, because they are not screaming out obvious bigotry, a la I hate trans people. Rather, they are whispering a curated, plausible deniability, the kind that purports to be just asking reasonable questions with simple answers. And that is, as he says, you know, makes it exhausting listening to the podcast because everything Rowling says is so, you know, she's a great writer. So it's carefully crafted that you can't put your finger on exactly what she said as an insult. You know, she never Mm -hmm. says, I hate trans people. But the way she says it, the way she excuses the things that she says, you really have to go and do some research and find some background. Why did she say that? What was she responding to? Mm -hmm. And so this critique is that there's a lot of that surface stuff. And, you know, it's one of the things that I find so frustrating with some of our relatives, because they they kind of approach homophobia in the same way, where they generally won't say anything that's like really outright homophobic. But there's all of this sort of implication in like the places that they will and won't shop and the, the people that they will and won't defend and the ways they will and won't interpret the Bible that you're like, I mean, you're being homophobic, but there's nothing I can like explicitly, like specifically call you out on without you being like, that's not homophobic. That's just, that's just what the Bible says. And I would honestly, a lot of times prefer that people would just be outright homophobic and say, I think gay people are evil because then I can be like, dude, you think gay people are evil. And that is a lot easier to deal with and process and sort of expressed to other people than this kind of exhausting relationship with what can I say? What's like, what are they going to say? Why are they going to respond to this? It's just a lot. Yeah. It's, it's exhausting. (laughs) Like, like it said, it's exhausting. Well, and much like a lot of the people that, you know, personally, like it's much like JK Rowling, like it's not even always what they said. It's what they said or did also knowing things that they have reposted or liked Mm -hmm. in the past and kind of like putting that package together. Mm -hmm. So one other point from this op-ed that I just thought summed all of this up really well is Hesse says, into all this, the magnified reaction that Rowling's one-time fans are having to these developments because before all this, Rowling was not some easily ignored anti-LGBTQ bloviator. She appeared to be a genuine ally, a protector, a friend. She is exactly the kind of voice that decent people who have not paid much attention to transgender issues might decide to listen to, which gives her voice outsized power. It requires of her an outsized responsibility to be fair, researched, and transparent, which we touched on a little bit earlier that her position of power requires a little more responsibility, like to not share things that are hunches or popular opinion or whatever the case. Or things that are just a response to her own trauma. Like it's not that her trauma is invalid, but having trauma doesn't give you an excuse to abuse your platform in a way that that hurts marginalized groups. Right. People use their trauma as, I mean, maybe like the um, gay panic defense. Mm-hmm. Right. Maybe a guy's 
confidence in his masculinity is truly so fragile that it is traumatic if another man hits on him. Not an excuse to beat somebody up or kill Mm -hmm. them or whatever. I guess I'm in the camp of I still what Daniel Radcliffe said, I think, is kind of where I am. Mm -hmm. I read a message in these books that was beautiful and deeply meaningful to me. And I still kind of hold on to that, even though I don't really want to, you know, financially or in any other way support Mm -hmm. J.K. Rowling. Um, But like I said, I'm not part of the community that is being attacked by this. You're kind of in the camp of I want nothing to do with this anymore, or I'm in the camp of it's complicated. Um, Yeah, I mean, because there are still elements like, I mean, the feeling of watching a scene in the Harry Potter movies, like where they go to Hogsmeade or something still, it's like, it's, it's magical, right? Like that's the whole thing is that she created this world that was so magical, but, but there's also that undercurrent of God, I wish I could just enjoy this without it making me sad and and scared. And so it's, it's, I, I don't know that I've come to a solid conclusion in terms of that. And, you know, there are, people who yeah just like don't want to see harry potter references don't want to have anything to do with it and i think that's also a valid approach what i would say is that i do think it is an important part of being an ally to trans people to like you said not financially support her in any way to be you know not not buying that schmancy new video game that shall not be named. And and if you're, you know, if you're going to buy the books, like buy them, buy them used, just that kind of thing. Because people will talk about death of the author when they talk about, you know, all of these crappy authors from 100 years ago, like H.P. Lovecraft or whatever. And that's a valid approach when the author is long dead and no longer making money off of their work. But when you're supporting her work, you are supporting her. And I think it's part of being a responsible consumer when someone is being so blatantly abusive of their power to show transgender people that you care and that you're not going to support someone who talks about them like that. Which ultimately is the response to accusations of cancel culture, right? Is She's allowed to say what she wants. But the consequence of that is that people might not want to support her anymore. Right. Like free speech doesn't mean you can say what you want with no social consequences. It means that you can say what you want and other people can also say what they want. And I'm, and she's using her freedom of speech to be transphobic. And I'm using my freedom of speech to tell people that if they want to support trans people, they should not support her. Fair enough. Well, we're interested if anybody wants to share how they have navigated this as, say, a Harry Potter fan or a parent of a Harry Potter fan. Do you still like the books? Would you still buy the books? We're curious. And if anybody has listened to the podcast, interested in opinions on that as well. All right. So next time we are going to be talking about the idea of rainbow washing, which is when corporations are like it's pride, you say, have our generic product, but with a rainbow and variations on that theme um, and what it means for a company or business to actually be engaging with allyship in a non-performative way. 
All right. So we will be back in a couple of weeks. Until then, take care. Bye. All right. If you would like to hear more from us, follow us on Instagram at queerkid.straightmom, Facebook at queerkid, straight mom, Twitter at queerkids, straight mom, that's straight, that's spelled S T R H. And if you would like to support us so that we can keep bringing you content like this, consider donating to us on Patreon at queerkid, straight mom. And if you are enjoying our podcast, please rate, review, and follow us on your preferred podcasting platform.